0: Peace be with you. Also with you. Again, I want to express gratitude on behalf of this. I'm going to do that in a. <laughs> I always say to myself when I step up to uh, give the sermon, um, while I take a drink of water, a little phrase that a counselor uh, taught me when I was a kid. I'm not going to repeat it because it is just a private thing. Um, But it's always a good reminder to, uh, when you stumble out the gate, you can take a couple steps back and start again. So, I want to express gratitude on behalf of Beth Israel Congregation for the strengthening of spirit provided by our attendance at our houses of worship this weekend. Reverends Treadway, Radcliffe, and Poole have always been great clergy friends for me ever since I moved to Mississippi. And I feel confident speaking for all of us when I say how great it is to be sitting together as spiritual kin, where our destinies share the hope of a better world despite religious differences. So for the past few weeks leading up to the pulpit swap, I've been conveying the connection between our congregations telling the story about how a Northminster member approached a Beth Israel board member about using our sanctuary for a small Baptist congregation in formation. And I had a little bit of a gut punch moment when Artie Finkelberg emailed me this week and reminded me how the relationship between our congregations began when Beth Israel was actually transitioning from our synagogue on Woodrow Wilson to the one now on Old Canton. And I read those lines of the email a few times because I'm just now processing how I've been telling the story wrong since I learned it almost four years ago. (laughs) I had been under the impression that the relationship between our congregations began in the 80s. And I have been relaying that ever since I learned of Northminster. And because of the magic of Facebook Live, there's even video evidence of that. Instead, as Reverend Treadway reminded us Friday night and Reverend Radcliffe this morning, our story began in 1967 when the Woodrow Wilson Synagogue still stood. Now, nobody had corrected me before about this discrepancy, so maybe it wasn't noticed by my congregation. But still, I could not help but feel a little bit embarrassed. But there's nothing to do about it now other than to share what I've learned So I relied on humor. I laughed at myself to get past the mistake and sat down to write. I'm a big advocate for using humor to move on from mistakes. Laughing with yourself is a quick way to ensure some levity and easy happiness to support carrying the many burdens of life. But of course, humor can be a tricky tool to use. Although levity is the reward for its use, We don't want to risk taking away from the importance of any given moment. Experience, more than anything else, can teach us when a playful demeanor would work and when it should be holstered. We are created in the image of God, meaning that the need for levity must also be a divine attribute. And that brings us to our question today, how does God laugh with us? Does God laugh too? It's a powerful question to ask given the lectionary readings this week from Deuteronomy 30, from Moses' final speech to the Israelites. If your heart turns away and you give no heed and are lured into the worship and service of other gods, I declare to you this day that you shall certainly perish. And in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, if your right hand causes you, stumble, cut it off, and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell." Bringing humor into these verses feels a little bit inappropriate, (laughs) especially given their place to inspire us as we sit in a worship service. And although the more profound message in these passages is to choose life over death, to build a just society, and to express reverence for the one greater than us. We should wonder how the Israelite and early Christian congregations transitioned from listening to these heavy words. So I went to movies. In the second Lord of the Rings movie, The Two Towers, the Fellowship of the Ring is separated and some of our heroes go to aid the kingdom of Rohan. Facing the impending evil forces from Isengard nearby, Rohan evacuates their capital city to find refuge in the mountain fortress of Helm's Deep. In a scene between terrified people fleeing their homes and being attacked by orcs riding monstrous wolves, we are treated to a humorous encounter between Gimli the Dwarf and Eowyn, niece of Rohan's king. Gimli rides high on his horse with fantastic dwarf tails before accidentally egging his horse onward a bit too much, and he is tossed from the saddle. Other refugees laugh, and the scene gives a break from the impending evils that threaten and the violence and gore of the rest of the movie. It is hard to imagine that refugees and warriors found humor in their endeavors, yet the laughs still echoed in the field, even if only for a moment. Rewatching that scene from The Two Towers also brought me to a fateful Christmas Eve celebration on the Western Front of World War I. A British machine gunner, Bruce Bairn's father, recalled December 24th, 1914 in his memoirs. Here I was in this horrible clay cavity, miles and miles from home, cold, wet through, and covered with mud, There didn't seem the slightest chance of leaving, except in an ambulance. At about 10 p.m., I noticed a noise. I listened. Away across the field, among the dark shadows beyond, I could hear the murmur of voices. I turned to a fellow soldier in the trench and said, do you hear the Germans kicking up that racket over there? The German soldiers were singing Christmas carols and the British and Germans met in no man's land to trade holiday greetings, songs, tobacco, and wine. Another soldier, Ernie Williams, described a soccer game. The ball appeared from somewhere, I don't know where. They made up some goals, and one fellow went in goal, and then it was just a general kickabout. I should think there were about a couple hundred taking part. And German Lieutenant Kurt Zemzisch remembers How marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. The English officers felt the same way about it. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. And although war waged on soon after, this memory serves as a blessing and an argument for human potential for us in the present and for the future. Joy, humor, and companionship provide levity from the more solemn aspects of life. And in those moments of relief, new perspectives can be gained. Throughout the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the heroes often refer to their enemy as an evil that never sleeps. It's hard to imagine not sleeping at all, yet perhaps the lack of rest, allows their cruel and violent intentions to persist. True evil, therefore, festers from the lack of perspective gained from levity and rest, where there is no moment to take reflective action. In Corinthians, Paul writes, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. When considering how we bring humor and levity to provide relief, we can identify with Brythians as striving to better ourselves. And compared to the eternal, our mortality and innate flaws make us infants who grow only into children. Unable to grasp the complete and mature wisdom represented in the divine presence, how can we hope for anything more? When our children laugh and babble, we can't help but share that happiness with them. And the Eternal is our ultimate parent when we create that levity. So even amongst the more sober and daunting instructions we are tasked to take to heart, we must allow ourselves to laugh when needed. The theology we experience in worship and a sacred text can often be overwhelming so, levity is the spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down. Or, in the case of Moses and Jesus, I do hope that they provided a nice spread for their congregants after sitting through these monumental sermons. <laughs> Nothing like some physical nourishment to help us digest such forceful teachings. Our texts from Deuteronomy and Matthew each have their way of asking us to choose life. Yet, even with the solemn and sober tone of these teachings, life demands that space for processing for transition from task to task in this sacred obligation humanity is united as beings created in the image of the divine and in our reflections when we weren't at our best we pray for mercy and grace the helping hand to pull us up when we fall and when we laugh purposely or even masking discomfort, may we look inwards to feel the smile of the Eternal, that we may be encouraged to reorient our attention to a world that needs it. This day, remember us for well-being. Bless us with your nearness. Help us to a fuller life. And to these prayers we say, Amen. Amen.